This is Both Wonderful and Strange, a Twin Peaks podcast. My name is Chris Van Howe. Today's episode features a conversation with my sister, Amelia Van Howe, back for her second appearance. She and I spend a good deal of time breaking down parts three and four of Twin Peaks The Return, going over a full geographic recap of all the places and characters we've seen so far. After the first two episodes, she and I were fairly stunned with what we had seen, and we didn't quite know how to make sense of it. But now, having seen parts three and four, we can see some clear narrative threads and we're really excited to give a full recap and geek out a little bit with our conversation. Before we get started, I wanted to talk a little bit about Mark Frost's book, The Secret History of Twin Peaks. This was published late last year and meant to act as a sort of bridge between the end of the original series of Twin Peaks and the new Twin Peaks The Return series on Showtime. I thoroughly enjoyed reading the book, and I highly recommend it as a extracurricular Twin Peaks activity. There are a number of threads that Amelia and I will discuss in our conversation that appear in the book. Uh, some lines are drawn between certain items and objects and characters that I think are really interesting, but by no means required reading. If you really want to dig into the lore of Twin Peaks, which is a subject that Mark Frost seems really interested in and David Lynch seems somewhat interested in, I highly recommend reading it. I think it will illuminate some things solve some mysteries from the epic cliffhangers of the final episode of the original series and really allow you to spend more time in the world we love so much. I do believe that bits and pieces of the book will pop up in our conversations as we go through the new Twin Peaks The Return series. So there's my recommendation. Check out Twin Peaks The Secret History by Mark Frost. I'm sure you'll love it. And now, on to the conversation with Amelia Van Howe. We are joined again this week by my sister, Amelia Van Howe. Welcome, Amelia. Hello. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I think uh, Kyle McLaughlin should get a dime for the every time after that the first week that anyone says that he and David Lynch should split a dime. Have, well, I'd say you get enough enough quarters at the Silver Mustang, true. right? <laughs> Absolutely true. A billion dollars for Mister Jackpots. As soon as I watched that scene. Uh, when when the woman called him Mr. Jackpots, the first thing I did was grab my phone and see if the Twitter handle at Mr. Jackpots was available, <laughs> and it was not. There's a, there's somebody actually who, whose name apparently is Jackpots. So, oh. yes. So we are talking about parts three and four of Twin Peaks: The Return, and I, I think it's it's safe to say that after the first two parts, you and I and most of the viewing public was mystified, intrigued, uh, confused, scared about what they saw. It was a mostly disjointed, in, in a very pleasant way, nothing that I'm saying here is negative, but I heard someone say about the first two parts is it's as if they took all of the scenes that were filmed put them in a bag and then just pulled them out randomly and arranged them that way. There was a, a disjointed sense to it. We didn't know really where, where we were. All we knew is that we weren't really in twin peaks. So now after parts three and four, it's clear narrative threads have shown up. We are on a bunch of different paths and we certainly don't really know where those paths will lead us, but they they are paths. They are some things that as viewers and fans, we can hold on to. So uh, we're going to break it down geographically and talk about what has happened in each of, I've outlined six locations 
but before we get to that, Amelia, how, how are you after parts three and four? Um, I was like very terrified and grossed out after three. Um, <laughs> so that, that was my experience with, with three. And then part four, I was just, it was, I was laughing the entire time, but it was also a sentiment of just, oh, poor Cooper, uh, for like the entire episode. But uh, I agree with you that we're definitely getting some more structure here and starting to put the pieces together. I kind of, you know, I, I sort of did a, a similar thing um, in terms of I, I sort of started making a list of things that link together and things that I still have questions about. And so I think that they've done just an awesome job of setting up just enough structure um, but not giving anything away yet. Absolutely. One, uh, another interesting thing I've read about this, and there are, I don't know if you, Amelia, or the folks listening, if you're, uh, if you're not reading any reviews or recaps of the show, uh, I recommend, I believe her name is Emily Stevens, who writes for the AV Club. Her reviews are excellent. Uh, Matt Zoller cites, and the woman who's recapping for Vulture is very good as well. And I also like Alan Seppenwall. You can find his his recaps on uprocks.com there. They all have different voices and they all bring something a little bit different to the table. So those have been my three go-tos um, in, in preparation for this and, and in just trying to, to make sense of what, what I've been seeing. Mm-hmm. So where I'd like to start is the, the location that's furthest away from Twin Peaks geographically uh, except maybe for the Black Lodge, because who knows where that is. But I want to go back to to New York City just just briefly. And that that whole bit that was a huge part of the first the very first part and then crept in a bit into the 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 second part was the the boy, Sam, sitting in front of the box, watching the box, watching the glass cage and uh, Tracy comes and visits him, and while they're fooling around, they are ter- they are dispatched by a, some sort of terrifying monster. It, you know, with that monster, that it, we're led to believe through some some time loopage that that monster pr- uh, followed Cooper. Cooper appears in the box. Well, they're not in the room. They come back. You know, they come back in the room. He's not there. Monster appears, escapes, kills Sam and Tracy. We are treated to a crime scene photo of what happened to Sam and Tracy, I believe, in part four. And that's maybe the end of our time in New York. Maybe we'll never know who the mysterious billionaire is, was, or maybe we will. Maybe we'll we'll go back to that. But the biggest thing I'm curious about was what was your reaction to the crime scene photo? Um, I don't do well with any kind of movie gore at all. Uh, so I, uh, you know, I looked at it and I was like, well, that's, that's super gross. I don't like this at all. And then as, um, as Tammy, Tammy, the FBI agent is talking about it and she's like, oh yeah, these were ID'd as these people. And I looked back at the photo and I was like, how could you ID anything yes. off of that? I mean, it just... Um, yeah, it was horrible. It was, I didn't like it. <laughs> so something interesting, and I'll, I'll just put this out there, uh, in, in my intro to this episode, you wouldn't have heard this yet, Amelia, but, uh, Tamara Preston, that agent that you mentioned, there is a book called the secret history of twin peaks that was written by Mark Frost. It's meant to be a bridge to, uh, from the original series, the end of the original series to this new series. And I, I don't want to give too much away about it, but uh, Tamara Preston is sort of our guide through that entire history of Twin Peaks. The book is presented as a dossier of all of these things that have happened in Twin Peaks since like going back as far as Lewis and Clark and how there's aliens involved there's a segment about how the log lady was abducted by aliens at a young age or you're led to believe she was abducted by aliens at a young age up through the events of twin peaks and then 
beyond. Um, so the 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 Tamara Preston character was didn't just sort of come out of nowhere. She she has a an introduction before the show. I don't think that the book is required reading to watch the show, but there have been some interesting bits and pieces. Uh, and as the show goes on, I'm, we'll sprinkle in some some of my familiarity with the book and, and the ideas and, and things that happen in it that are relevant relevant to the show. So I, I think for now we can put a bow on New York City. Hopefully we'll return and we'll find out actually who was behind the box and what they were trying to accomplish besides getting attractive young people murdered. <laughs> but from New York, we, we I guess it's a natural jump for us to go to to the FBI and their 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 sudden appearance in this the the reintroduction of Gordon Cole of Albert Rosenfeld one of my all-time favorite <laughs> not just twin peaks characters but but television characters if if i am down in the dumps watching albert tell sheriff harry truman that he loves him is maybe one of the best like 60 seconds you can spend on youtube so we are that team is back together they are uh, treated to crime scene photos of New York, which they refer to it as a Blue Rose case. Uh, Blue Rose appeared in part three, where we'll get to that, but in a Black Lodge scene, the floating head of Major Briggs whispered Blue Rose as it slid through weird space time. Uh, Blue Rose is also a... Uh, have you seen Firewalk with me, Amelia? I have not. Okay. So... Watch Fire Walk with me. It's it's the the film that Lynch, the Twin Peaks film that Lynch made after the the television show, and it it captures the last week in Laura Palmer's life. But the the first part of the movie is this investigation into the girl who was murdered before Laura, Laura Palmer, Teresa Banks, and there is a Cooper esque special agent named Chester Desmond, who's played by the dashing Chris Isaac. And uh, he explains to his assistant, who is named, I believe, is Sam Stanley, played by Kiefer Sutherland. He explains the Blue Rose co code word. It's a the Blue Rose cases are weird and unusual cases that specifically Gordon Cole seems to have some sort of control over. They're they're the Twin Peaks X Files, I guess is a good way to put it. <laughs> how appropriate with yes. uh, with David Duchovny coming back exactly so. <laughs> exactly so we are in F we are in the FBI bureau headquarters in Philadelphia we see the crime scene photo and Gordon Cole gets a telephone call that Cooper has been found and he pulls Albert Rosenfeld into a discussion and and Tammy Preston and they're going to go find Cooper and he wants to bring Tammy. But in order to do that, he has to get approval from his boss, who, as you mentioned, was played by David Duchovny, right. Denise Bryson. <laughs> so this was I, I'm I'm fascinated by by David Duchovny as an actor now. Because. Early in, in Twin Peaks and in the X-Files, he was. He was a dynamic actor. He could emote. And now I, I, I don't think he's a, I don't want to say anything negative about him, but he's definitely I'm David Duchovny. That's it. Like, you know, this is like I am I am I am I'm comfortable in my skin. I am I am this amalgam of all these characters I've played that have turned into this this brand of David Duchovny. So it was really great to see him return. What did you what did you like most about? Cole's interaction with Bryson, his new boss. Hmm. What did I like most about that? Um, I, what cracked me up was um, all of the, I mean, like Duchovny said a couple of things. He referenced like screaming hormones and I have to grow balls of steel to do this job. <laughs> and speaking as a woman now, <laughs> It's just like, 
who, I mean, who are you speaking as? Are you speaking as David Duchovny or Denise Bryson or Dennis Bryson turned Denise Bryson? I just, it was, uh, I thought it was really clever just to use all those like very gendered terms um, for a, a, a male actor playing a, a female character. Yes. Yeah. And there was, there was some interesting takes on his performance and some people looked at it negatively and framed it as well the original Tin Twin Peaks was so progressive by having a trans character and now they're Twin Peaks is sort of and David Lynch are sort of having this victory lap like oh look at look at how far far ahead of the times we were and Cole has that great line my my favorite moment is there is when Cole is trying to convince Denise that he should be allowed to be impressed and he's like you know I told everybody they had to change their heart or die when it came <laughs> to you which I thought was just a really beautiful uh beautifully written line there was another really good one in there um that he had like a swimming I think I believe it was like a swimming pool full of dirt and I never <laughs> used one spoonful like the 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 colloquialisms that Cole uses in that scene are really fun uh but it was it was great to see Duchovny back because I came to Twin Peaks and as did you, I believe, or no, you, you're more of a recent X-Files fan, aren't you? Like you, you watched Peaks first, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. And then, and I had never seen the X-Files and that was another show that you recommended to me and that I've like become totally obsessed with. So, yeah. and yeah, that I saw, I saw Twin Peaks after my fascination with the X-Files. So, and I didn't know, I didn't know Duchovny was coming. And so when I saw his name in the opening credits, I was like, huh. And then you see him. It's like, oh, he's he's just an FBI or DEA agent. And then the twist, mm -hmm. and you're you know, you're you're sort of left spinning your heels. So in the end, Albert, um, not Albert, I'm sorry, Gordon convinces his boss that he should be allowed to bring Agent Preston along and they head off to Buckthorn. South Dakota or now they're just in South Dakota. They're no longer in Buckthorn. So I guess the next place I want to go is, is South Dakota. And much like with New York, there was a story that was told in the first two parts that we have not yet revisited. And I don't know if we will. The, the tragedy of Bill and Phyllis and the librarian whose name is escaping me. A Ruth, Ruth, Ruth Davenport and their lawyer, um, who Phyllis was having an affair with this, this sort of seedy love triangle squ square that seemed to be totally manipulated by bad Cooper that ended in with Bill in prison, Ruth Davenport dead. Uh, who knows whose body that was underneath her head. <laughs> Phyllis shot by dark Cooper with her lover's gun and we sort of, you know, we sort of poofed out of there. And, you know, the 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 sense that we get so far is that that evil Cooper, I've called him. I think I've called him bad Cooper, dark Cooper and evil Cooper. I've also referred to him, heard him referred to as dirty Cooper, which might be my favorite one. <laughs> but he sort of leaves this wake of awfulness wherever he goes. He's manipulating people. He's doing all these things. So so I hope we get to return and see what was happening there. But I suspect that maybe we won't. It seems like it would be like the narrative has moved on from that as more of maybe that was just like a an introduction to to Bad Cooper. But as we left Bad Cooper there, he was uh, driving to a federal penitentiary to take out the other half of Ray and Daria, the two people who had, it seemed like maybe they'd been hired to kill him. And on the way to the jail, something awful happens. And this is where the, the threads get really murky. So maybe we'll put a pin in Cooper, dark Cooper driving to the jail and we can go to, where do I want to go next? I think for right now, so we'll leave Dark Cooper in the car in South Dakota and let's visit Twin Peaks because to this point, the Twin Peaks storyline is wholly separate from everything else. 
that's this, you know, we've gotten some glimpses of our old friends. Dr. Jacoby has a bunch of shovels and a great mechanism <laughs> to paint them with. And we, we meet the other Harry Truman. And so there, the, there, there's a narrative thread in Twin Peaks, but it's not yet connected to what's going on in the wider world, which isn't really a surprise because Twin Peaks doesn't ever really seem connected to the wider world. So to break things down in Twin Peaks, we are investigating. We've we've reopened the Laura Palmer file cases. We're looking for something that is missing on the advice of Log Lady to Chief Deputy Hawk or Deputy Chief Hawk. And that is sort of our our path in Twin Peaks now. And the third part after this really grand, nearly silent film, very surreal, very scary of Cooper and the Black Lodge that we'll get to shortly, we are treated to a lot of time in Twin Peaks all of a sudden. And I guess, I, Amelia, why don't you tell tell me about some of your favorite Twin Peaks scenes and we'll we'll chop it up around those. So I actually, I made a list of, oh, of perfect. favorite, right, favorite scenes. And a lot of them were the ones um, in Twin Peaks, mostly involving Lucy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so one of my favorite ones, first of all, was the, the donut disturb sign on the door. Uh, I, I have my notes right in front of me. And that scene appeared so quickly after the, the surreal opening of part three that I just wrote, Donut disturb, you know, donut disturb. This feels like a gift. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think I saw, I mean, like you, I've, I've tried to sort of stay off the Reddit threads, but I did see one that was like, print out Hawk's door sign, no spoilers. Um, so it sounds like it's out there. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, it, a, there's a thousand Etsy shops that are selling right. donut disturb signs right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, the exchange following that where... Hawk is sitting down with uh, Andy and Lucy and talking about his heritage. And Lucy just, the moment where Lucy just turns to Hawk and goes, you're an Indian. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I just lost it. it. Yeah, for they've been working together for at least 25 years. <laughs> and the, 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 the fact that Andy and Lucy have not really developed at all as as human beings in that time but both remain incredibly likable and sweet mm -hmm. is is very funny that whole that whole sort of exchange and and hawks hawks like dutiful patience with them <laughs> is was really touching oh my gosh yeah i <laughs> Yes. Um, my other favorite Lucy scene was uh, when um, Sheriff Truman walks in on his cell phone. <laughs> yes. Right? And, and following this absolutely absurd conversation about thermostats, um, <laughs> that Lucy clearly has like zero understanding of how a thermostat works. <laughs> you know? right? And then he walks in and she fades. And, and then Andy's conversation with her afterwards, where he says, I don't understand how this keeps happening. <laughs> I, <laughs> that, that was great. Oh, my God. Um, their son, Wally, played by Michael Sarah. Yeah, I think oh. this is that's the. That's such a loaded scene from a humorous standpoint. Uh, plunked right in there. Now, I knew that Michael Sarah was part of the cast. And I had I had been wondering what what role he would play, because he's for better or for worse. He is Michael Sarah. He is he, he possesses a a comedic presence that is sometimes annoying, almost always charming. And he, within himself, he can go in a lot of different directions. I, I certainly did not expect him to play a. Well, he is he was born on the same day as Marlon Brando, but to to dress him up, and to give him the the vocal affectation of young Marlon Brando was was hilarious. Oh my god! The 
my favorite part of that scene where is when he's talking about his shadow mm -hmm. right <laughs> my, my shadow is always beside me to the left and to the right and then he just like keeps going right? yes behind me <laughs> yes. in front of me except for at night <laughs> or on cloudy days <laughs> right oh man and, um, and the idea that like that that scene i think played a lot with nostalgia and sort of the silliness of nostalgia where he is this very nostalgic character and do you remember the the purpose the purpose of his return home do you remember what it was it's to pay his respects to sheriff truman well that was that was like a sub purpose the real purpose oh, was to come home and bedroom. give give his parents permission to remodel his bedroom <laughs> <laughs> And they're they're just so thrilled with him, like the the acting performance that that Andy and, and Lucy give in that scene where they're just they're silent and and beaming and everything he says is is the greatest thing ever. And they're met with the it's not a stone wall, but like this this bemused detachment of Sheriff Truman, <laughs> right? you know, you can only imagine what's going through his head and the the run-ins that maybe he had with young Wally Brando over the years in Twin Peaks as that kid was coming up must have been something. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, it was also another thing I loved about returning to Twin Peaks. Um, I was really happy to see Bobby Briggs, which I was never happy to see Bobby Briggs in the original two seasons um, because he was sort of just, I always felt like he was just sort of a, a jerk and a knucklehead. And it seems like he's at least grown up um, into a more responsible human being. I mean, we'll, we'll see about that, but uh, yeah, I was, I was really glad to see him. I, I, me too. And I, I liked that he was, he was the vehicle for the, like in a, in an, in two parts that were the first half of part three was surreal and terrifying. And then really the second half of three and all the way through four were high comedy mm -hmm. for, for Bobby Briggs to be the, the portal through which we get the one really emotional blast where he sees Laura's picture and Laura Palmer's theme starts playing and he starts crying was really it was an interesting choice for him to be the vehicle for that because you're right he was at 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 his very worst in the series he was he was menacing and capable of dark things and at his very best he was like a sniveling coward mm -hmm. and so to see him you know emote in that moment in that way he seems to be a, prof a good professional police officer who has the respect of his chief. And I think it gave that it gave that a lot of power more so than if, you know, more so than seeing Sarah Palmer on her couch, smoking a million cigarettes, watching terrifying nature shows. <laughs> that was that was a different kind of sadness. That was Sarah Palmer. Life was obliterated. This is all that's left for her. With Bobby Briggs, it was he's moved on, but is pulled back into that place that he probably hasn't been in for 25 years. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely. And we one of the things I liked about the Twin Peaks is that it seems as if the Twin Peaks, the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department is two separate operations. There's the. Sheriff Harry Truman, Andy, Lucy Hawk operation. And then there's the other Sheriff Truman and they've got like some technology set up and like a dispatcher who seems like she knows what she's doing. And it was very jarring, like this, this dual purpose sheriff's department, like they're, they're committed to doing things the right way, but hanging on to things the old way. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know that with the dispatcher talking about uh, DUIs and a student OD'd and all of this stuff, and I'm like, this is what? This isn't the Twin Peaks I remember. I mean, not to say that there weren't crazy things going on 
in Twin Peaks 25 years ago, but it's certainly in the in the sheriff's department, everyone was surprised. You know, yeah. there was sort of it seemed like sort of a run of the mill thing. Yes. Yeah. Like it's just a regular town where, you know, bad things happen sometimes. And that's why you have a sheriff's department. Whereas in the the original series, it was like, oh, we have a sheriff's department and they're they're a bunch of likable guys and they're part of the secret society. And, you know, the 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 policing was a very it was it was interesting to see real policing happening. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And finally, I think in Twin Peaks, we can end with they're they're going through all these things. They haven't really settled on what the log lady told them, which is something is missing. And the closest they got was the the chocolate bunny. <laughs> and I I was scouring my memory banks to try to remember if. Did Lucy eat the bunny in the original series or did she eat the bunny just now? <laughs> I think, I mean, it's, so I am, I am currently like rewatching, um, rewatching my way through Twin Peaks sort of simultaneously. So you see the chocolate bunny in the original series and then you never see it disappear. Yes. So I, I choose to believe that Lucy did not eat it 25 years later. Okay. But she ate it in the interim at some point. When she was stricken with a gas bubble. All right. <laughs> she was afraid to tell Andy about it. <laughs> oh, those two. So I am. Meanwhile, we've ended the last three episodes with like concert performances at the uh, the the Bang Bang Bar all very dreamy, ethereal synth pop. We've seen Jacoby with his shovel painting. There's still a lot, a lot to happen in Twin Peaks. And I'm, I'm excited to see the veil lifted more and more every episode. There's a lot of character, a lot of Twin Peaks characters hanging out that we haven't yet seen. All right. So we have covered New York City. We've covered the first part of South Dakota. We've got Cooper in his car there. We've covered our friends in Twin Peaks. We've covered our FBI agents. They're sort of on a path to find Cooper. So we have two two places left. We have Las Vegas and we have the Black Lodge. I think logically, no pun intended, logically. Eh. <laughs> Let's start with the Black Lodge and the the most Lynchian moment so far, the beginning of part three, Cooper's falling from the he falls out of the Black Lodge as we know it onto the glass box, into the glass box, falls more and ends up in this purpley. You know, on this 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 purpley world water, as far as you can see, a purple sky and a, a house that he climbs through the window. Can you explain to me what happened? <laughs> <laughs> mm, okay. I, All right. I'll do my best. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I, I'm curious what your what your reaction was to that particular scene. So I think I think that he's still within the Black Lodge. Um, I think that what we typically think of as the Black Lodge with the red curtains and the, you know, chevron pattern. I think that that's in, in some ways sort of a waiting room. Um, and there's sort of only a couple of available rooms within that area. And I think that he's now fallen into sort of a, maybe a, perhaps a deeper dimension of the Black Lodge. Um, and I think that like with the waiting room, we've seen a lot of Mike. Um, walking around and he seems to be sort of the, the keeper of that area um, so in that same way I think the the blind woman and the um, and after the blind woman sort of falls into space and he comes back down and the other woman who is there I think that they're sort of perhaps the keepers of this area of the lodge um, something interesting that uh, I did a, I did a little research afterwards the the second woman in the 
uh, in the lodge was referred to as American woman was her cast name, but it was the actress who played Ronette Pulaski in the original series. Huh? Yeah. Oh man, that's super cool. I'll have yeah. to go back and, and, and check that out again. Huh? Yeah. So, so I don't know. Um, and then obviously all, all sorts of, of crazy business goes on there. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced that both of the women are, are trying to help Cooper. Um, at one point, the, I guess, American woman will call her. She says, you know, you better hurry. My mother's coming. And there's this like terrifying banging throughout. So uh, another thing I wanted to, to bring up with that, thank you for, for leading me into that, is we said earlier that in New York, whatever killed Sam and Tracy seemed to, it, it followed Cooper. And now Cooper ends up in this other place and there's something else you know, it comes after he arrives. And I don't know if it's you could maybe make the assumption that the the monster in the New York apartment and the banging on the door could be the same entity. Or they could be wholly separate. That's the, the beauty of Lynch. But it is interesting that wherever he goes, there's always something sort of after him. And that goes that goes even as back to the original series when he's being chased through the Black Lodge by his own doppelganger. I mean, I posit that's because he doesn't belong to the Black Lodge in a way that a bunch of the other characters um, who show up there, uh, like Mike and the, the dwarf and the giant and Laura and Bob, I think are all sort of creatures of the Black Lodge. And Cooper's very much an intruder. Um and he's just been there sort of in the way, more or less, for 25 years. So I'm sort of not surprised that something is trying to get him out of there. Um, I, to me, the, uh, the, the monster in New York City looked very much like the doppelganger of the like brain tree. Okay. Uh, it, it seemed to, to move in a similar way and to be shaped in a similar way um so I, i'm not convinced it's the same monster but maybe maybe not we'll see or maybe we won't see who right knows? who knows it'll just be be in our memory banks forever mm-hmm. so yeah so cooper meets these two women there's the the interesting scene where they he follows the first one the one who is whose eyes seem to be sealed shut and who doesn't have doesn't possess speech just has a sort of halting cat-like noise when she makes sounds. Uh, she leads him to the top of this, you know, leads him up a ladder. And all of a sudden they're on like a little rickety spaceship that's far smaller than the space they occupied within it. And she throws a switch. As she throws a switch, she's hurtled off into space. That's where Major Briggs's head slides through and says Blue Rose Cooper climbs back down into the room where the new American woman is waiting for him. The this weird outlet thing on the wall that Cooper later passes through. The number has changed on the outlet from 15 to three, which is more of these sort of number clues or red herrings or or whatever that Lynch and Frost are throwing into these Black Lodge scenes. Um. Cooper ends up approaching this outlet and as he is approaching it, it's almost as if he's getting sucked into it. And I think that's a good point where we can sort of, we can tie these, these threads together and we can end up uh, in, in Las Vegas. So in the black lodge, Cooper is teasing this outlet. He's getting sucked into it. Bad Cooper is driving and he is clearly feeling something emanating from his cigarette lighter in his car and trying not to vomit. And then we are introduced to Dougie Jones, you know, schlubby Cooper for all intents and purposes. He's, he's, <laughs> he's with a prostitute in a, in a, in a house in what seems to be a failed real estate development outside of Las Vegas. And at the moment that all of this is happening, he falls ill and we sort of get this three way. There's three Coopers. They're all like ha- happening at once. 
And as Cooper is sucked into the socket, Dougie Jones throws up a little bit. Bad Cooper in his car throws up the most. (laughs) (laughs) And and he was throwing up uh, what Kyle McLaughlin, I read an interview with him, said that it was supposed to be creamed corn and bile. So, so, so the, the creamed corn is an interesting thing. So in, in Twin Peaks lore, the, the, the agents of the Black Lodge feed off of Garmin Bozia, which is something that the, the man from another place or the arm tells Cooper when he's in the lodge. And Garmin Bozia is the embodiment of fear and sorrow, and it takes the shape of creamed corn for that's that's how human beings see it so when when bad cooper was throwing all of this up he was clearly like expending all of this energy to not get pulled back into the black lodge and what he was throwing up was so toxic that it caused the policeman who you know is on the scene to fall ill and and they need gas masks to to deal with this this issue so as he's throwing that up cooper is sucked into the outlet spit out where dougie jones was left and dougie jones poofs and now dougie jones is sitting in the black lodge and is incredibly confused about why he's there (laughs) he says as he watches as his hand shrinks and the ring he's wearing which is uh makes an appearance in fire walk with me so I won't tell you its its significance in that, but the and it also makes an appearance in the secret history of Twin Peaks, and it I, I believe it was given to um either Lewis or Clark by an Indian tribe, the this jade ring. Um, so it has some significance. We hear Mike tell. Dougie Jones, that he's not supposed to be there, that he was created for a purpose, which leads me to believe that Dark Cooper somehow created Dougie Jones to serve as his proxy in the Black Lodge so that he wouldn't be forced to go back. Of course, Dougie Jones' stay in the Black Lodge is very short when he turns into dust and sort of shrivels in front of us and leaves nothing behind but the ring and a golden pea that uh, that Mike takes and, and places on a pedestal. So three started with three Coopers. Now we are down to two. We are down to presumably our hero, Dale Cooper in Las Vegas and Dark Cooper in South Dakota. He is in jail. I want to spend a few minutes on each of their their paths. So I let's start with let's start with our, our with Hero Cooper and and talk a little bit about how his his journey from his rebirth into the real world from the Black Lodge to where we leave him. Um why don't you take this one Amelia? Tell me you break it down for us. Give me give me your thoughts as you we follow the adventures of of Dale Cooper aka Mr. Jackpots aka <laughs> Dougie Jones. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so Cooper, though he seemed to have all his faculties in the Black Lodge, um, once he gets out of the Black Lodge, he seems to lose any familiarity with, with speech or uh, how anything works. Um, I think some notable examples of this are, you know, he doesn't seem to know how to put on shoes. He doesn't seem to know how to go to the bathroom. Uh, he can't talk. Um, his shuffling walk is, is one of my favorite things of all of this. He sort of rocks from side to side. Um, so the, the prostitute that, that Dougie Jones was with, um, you know, finds him and is like, listen, we got to get out of here and sort of bundles him into her car and tells him to call for help, uh, and drives him to the casino. Um, which I'm curious about. Why, I mean, why does she drive him there? But um, 
So he he tries to go into the casino. He gets stuck in the revolving door, which is <laughs> which is another one of my favorite moments in these two episodes. And he walks inside and he says, "Call for help." Um, and I don't know what call for help means at the Silver Mustang, but it clearly doesn't mean the call for help that I believe her name is Jade. I, yes. Uh, right. It, it clearly doesn't mean the call for help that Jade intended uh, because they sent him to the slot machines. Right. Well, and- they, they, <laughs> the, 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 the woman at the chain, when he makes a change for the $5 bills and she gives him the cup, she's very tender with him. Like she hands him the cup with both hands and sort of she tries to point him to the phone bank mm. and then that's where Cooper gets distracted by he sees the, the the casino patron go through his routine of rubbing this quarter, putting it in the slot machine, pulling the, the crank. And then when he wins a small jackpot, he says, hello. <laughs> and so this becomes, you know, Cooper apes this. And while he's doing this, he sees these these almost like tongues of fire above these specific slot machines. Then they're, they're, they're a little picture of the black lodge and they lead him to the slot machines and he proceeds to win 30 mega jackpots. Uh, one thing I wanted to, to revisit before we get too far away from it is as Jade and Cooper are leaving the house, there's some sort of plot to kill Dougie Jones and the plot is foiled when Cooper reaches into his pocket and finds his hotel key for the Great Northern, drops it on the floor and ducks, thus averting assassination. I suspect that Dark Cooper knew what was going to happen, had an idea of when it was going to happen and where it was going to happen, and set those guys up to assassinate the real Cooper, thus eliminating any sort of tie to to that that may be going too far into it because we do learn later that dougie jones and his wife owe some money to some apparently some bad people but that could all be related as we have seen dark cooper is capable of of many things yeah and going going way 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 back this may be a bit of a stretch but there's that scene in new york where um there's a a gentleman sitting at a table um and a like young man comes up to him and the gentleman hands him a bunch of money and the guy's like why why does you know why do you let him make you do this and uh, he says the gentleman at the table says uh like i hope that you never have to work for someone like him and i sort of wonder if he was referencing bad cooper so i wonder if if bad cooper is sort of both the bank and the brains of a lot of these operations um, that may be the thread that ties everything together. Excellent. And that scene, actually, it took place in in Las Vegas. So there's. Oh, yeah. So there, there was like a casino scene. So that 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 lends even more credence to your theory that uh, whatever was happening, you know, Vegas is a big part of of potentially Dark Cooper's operation. So to fast forward a bit, Dougie Jones, Cooper averts assassination. We uh, he has this protracted, funny moment in the casino where he's winning all these jackpots and helping this this older woman who looks like she possibly homeless. Also winning some jackpots. She she definitely she definitely brightens to him. Her first reaction is to, to flip him off when he's staring at a machine next to hers. And then she goes over to it puts the quarter in and wins the jackpot, thus naming him Mr. Jackpots, which is a great, great nickname. He has this interaction with the casino pit boss that the casino pit boss is trying to menace him. And you can't really menace a man who is not there. Uh, He gets he gets taken home. And this is a this is a reverse of the feelings I had in the first two parts where I mentioned in our first conversation, there was this time release dread where you would have the scene and you didn't really know what was happening in the scene, but then it would end with something awful and you would sort of backlog that awful feeling to that. 
in this one, I, in this scene where we're waiting outside of his apartment or his home, the, the dread is really heavy and you're wondering what's on the other side of that red door. And then all of a sudden it's it's his wife, Janie, Janie E. Jones, she, like all mm-hmm. of them, they all have funny names. Like I, I believe she's Janie E. Jones and their son is Sonny Jim Jones, which why you would name a child Jim Jones <laughs> is, you know, interesting. But that, that 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 was almost like time release comedy where everything that follows the opening of the door is a relief to what all of the things you're imagining could be behind the door. Absolutely. Especially yeah. since, um, while Cooper and the limo driver are standing there, the, um, the owls, the owl flies past. That's right. Absolutely. Um, which was, which was obviously, you know, the owls are not what they seem like a super negative omen in the original series. So, I was I was definitely nervous for uh, for what was behind that door. Do you remember the owl poster I had in the basement of uh, of Dad's house? I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. we had this really weird glass block wall in our basement, and for a time, I had friends over to watch Twin Peaks every Sunday night, and we had a big owl poster <laughs> hung up for that. I had to take it down when our parents had fancy parties. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> So Cooper is home. Dougie Jones is home. We're treated to this. You know, he doesn't know how to dress himself. He doesn't know how to go to the bathroom. He doesn't know how to eat. He doesn't know how to wear a tie. <laughs> he does. He does know how to throw a thumbs up, which there's a bunch of thumbs ups in this episode, which is really fun because that was always sort of Cooper's go to mm-hmm. signifier. But the 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 thing ends you know, Dougie Jones Cooper's story comes to an end in part four with his wife giving him a glass of coffee or a mug of coffee. And coffee has long been Cooper's elixir. That you know, the when there's some Funko Pop characters and Cooper's character is, you know, dressed with his his black FBI suit one hand throwing a thumbs up, a mug of coffee in the other. So it's it's an avatar, or not an avatar, it's a signifier Cooper. It's his icon. And so I, when I was watching, it was like, oh, he's going to have a sip of coffee and it's all going to come back like pow, right? Mm-hmm. And he takes a sip of the coffee, spits, <laughs> spits it all out, and either yells, and either like growls hot or high. And he has this maniacal grin on his face that's very similar to the the look he has on his face at the last scene of the original series where he's possessed by Killer Bob and he's saying, where's Annie? It's the same sort of deranged thing. But I really just think he didn't know that it was going to be hot. <laughs> I think so, too. Um, and I, I thought that he said hi because his, his wife turns around and goes, Dougie. And I thought that he was saying hi. Okay. Like, yeah, I was, that, I was st- I think stuck between is. the two. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to go with hi. So that'll close the book on on Dale Cooper for now. But the last thing I want to talk about is the the very last scene of part four, which is Dark Cooper being questioned by Gordon Cole, Albert Rosenfeld and, and agent Tammy Preston. And he is, he is speaking dark Cooper is speaking very slowly in the scene. He gives the most unnerving thumbs up ever <laughs> at the yes. end of it. But he, he was his car. He was found. Do you, do you remember the three items that were found in the trunk of dark Cooper's car? <laughs> cocaine machine gun and of course a dog leg a dog leg (laughs) perfect (laughs) and so there's there's some concern from from cole and rosenfeld they don't really know what to expect they something is off with cooper he's speaking very slowly his voice is modulated in a weird way that i don't know if it's the sound system of the jail or just some menacing aspect of dark cooper but the the scene is is fairly brief for Twin Peaks because a lot of these scenes seem to be drawn out considerably. He keeps saying to Cole that he needs to be debriefed. He was working with Philip Jeffries. And this is the second time that Philip Jeffries has been mentioned. And I don't believe you and I talked about it 
in the first week, but Philip Jeffries is a character from Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me, played by David Bowie. <laughs> oh my goodness. Who is a FBI agent who mysteriously disappeared at one point, mysteriously reappears in the Philadelphia Bureau office, and then is never seen again. And so Dark Cooper claims to be working with him undercover. He's trying to convince Cole that they've got to get him out of there, that he will be exonerated or, or released. You know, he says something to the effect of, of course, of course, I'll be released uh, soon. And the conversation ends with the shade going down on Dark Cooper as he throws that em emotionless, motionless, super unnerving thumbs up with the creepiest smile <laughs> yes. and where we end now and i think the, the this is the first episode that's that's ended with a with a clear next step with an idea of what's coming along uh cole sends agent preston away he and rosenfeld are in this parking lot and cole turns the volume of his hearing aid all the way up, which seems to take an inordinate number of twists. Uh, and they have this conversation about trying to get to the bottom of this and figuring out what's Cooper's been gone for 25 years. Who knows Cooper? And Rosenfeld says, you know, or, or uh, he says something about this woman. I don't know where she is or Gordon asked her if she knows where she is. And he says, I know where she drinks and then cuts to the bang, bang bar. I believe this was this Au Revoir Simone. I can't remember which which band. I think the, so. Was I'm the, pretty the, sure was the it fourth was. band. They're, they're playing one of the, the dreamy pop songs that David Lynch has loved for years. Uh, and the episode ends. So we're left with this. Who could it be? Who is the who is this? You know, I know where she drinks. Who is this? She uh, before we go today, I'll ask you it. If you if you had one guess, you can make one guess. Who do you think she is? I think I think it's a Twin Peaks character. I almost wonder. And and I may be completely off the mark here because I have not read Secret History of Twin Peaks, but I almost wonder if it could be Audrey, Audrey Horn coming back. And the only reason I say that is because um, there's talk of Black Rose in the original series. So I had wondered if maybe Audrey sort of kiped that and became Blue Rose later. Ah, interesting. But I like that theory. I, I, I'm with you. I think that Audrey is a, a leading candidate. The, the hot rumor is that uh, when the cast list was announced, one of the one of the big time uh, cast members was Laura Dern. And Laura Dern has appeared in a number of David Lynch's movies. She was in Inland Empire, um, almost in every shot in that movie. She was in Blue Velvet. So she she and Lynch go way back. And the hot rumor is that Laura Dern will be playing Diane. Oh, my gosh. So. So we'll see if they'll that that almost seems too obvious for Lynch. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what uh, what happens. I always assumed that Diane was made up and that Diane was a coping mechanism that Cooper used to get over the the death of uh, of Caroline Wyndham Earl's wife uh, in the original series that, you know, Wyndham Earl murdered her and nearly killed Cooper. So I always assumed that that she was some sort of psychosomatic affectation but it will be interesting to see if she's a a real person i i completely agree with you i just thought that it was maybe something maybe he had named his his tape recorder diane uh it, in some way to maybe give him a sense of companionship or that he was speaking to a a person instead of a recorder or something like that but i agree that i never really thought that she was uh that she actually existed so that'll be interesting excellent so amelia i want to thank you for joining me today we uh we talked for quite a bit i think that i was i was itching to do to do a recap after the the first two parts were so mesmerizing and mystifying it's nice to it's nice to get a little bit of your cake 
have a little cake and eat it too, or you're still in this Lynchian weirdness, but there are some narrative threads. Uh, I feel like we're on a path. I'm really excited for what's coming down the road. Yeah, me too. And uh, next one's come out on my birthday. Oh, yes. Happy birthday. (laughs) Yeah, right. What a a wonderful (laughs) present. Excellent. Well, Amelia, I'm sure we will talk again. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you again to Amelia Van Howe for joining us tonight. Before we wrap this episode up, I wanted to speak to something I've noticed in the first four parts of Twin the Peaks The Return that I thought was very somber and sweet. There's been a number of appearances from actors who have passed since they filmed their their parts, notably Miguel Ferrer as Albert Rosenfeld and the log lady, Catherine Coulson. Both filmed their parts before they passed away. Catherine Coulson was ill when she filmed her parts, and Miguel Ferrer's death came as a bit of a surprise. I've been really intrigued by and impressed with the way that Twin Peaks has handled the passage of time. I want to read a segment of Emily Stevens' recap. Emily writes for the AV Club, and this was featured in her recap of parts three and four. Age, death, and loss loom over this production with searing, sweet honesty. The camera makes no effort to disguise the lines on the faces of the returning cast to conceal the frailty of some and the robust maturity of others. Many of these performers have died since filming their segments or appear only in fragments and flashbacks. Episode after episode is dedicated to their memories. To Catherine Coulson, to Frank Silva, to Miguel Ferrer, to Don Davis. It's almost a shock when part four doesn't end with a dedication to a lost member of the cast. It's rare to see a show embrace attrition like this, and it touches me deeply. I picked that segment out because I think that Emily touches on something that I was having a hard time putting into words. My favorite experience watching Twin Peaks was with a group of coworkers. This was many years ago. We would gather weekly Sunday nights in the basement of my father's house to watch one or two episodes. It was a great group of friends. I'm still connected with some, not so connected with others. And in the years since we had that experience, one of the members of that group passed away. And I can't think about Twin Peaks without thinking about her. And the way that Lynch and Frost have approached the attrition of time has been staggering. I'm truly thankful for their honest portrayal of the ravages of time. It makes me grateful for the times that I've had watching Twin Peaks with others. The thesis of this show was that it would be a way to create a community around the show in honor of the community that my mother had with the original show and the community that I found with that group of coworkers many years ago. And I would be remiss if I didn't think of our lost friend through all of this. So to all the friends I've shared Twin Peaks with and to the friends we've lost along the way, this episode, this series of podcasts is only made possible by the influence you had on my life, the friendship you gave me, the friendship we shared, and I dedicate it all to you. Thank you for making this possible. I'll be back next week with more conversations, both wonderful and strange.